Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18+. plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. It's never been easier to communicate with people, but it's never been harder to know which platform you're supposed to communicate on. Here's a simpler solution. With call, meet, and message all in one app, Ring Central makes communication easy. With all that connectivity in the palm of your hand, you can work from anywhere with anyone at any time and never miss a beat. Because when it comes to communication, simple is better. Learn more at ringcentral.com. Ring Central, simpler communications. This is the MD's Fantasy Football Show with Dan Mader. Giving you the X's and O's of all things fantasy. Welcome back in MD Nation to the show. You are listening to the MD's Fantasy Football Show on the Unhinged Radio Sports Network. And of course, watching it live stream at Belly Up MDFF Show on social media and on YouTube, the MD's Fantasy Football Show. Subscribe to that as we go. Chris, we're back. We did the full point. PPR mock draft yesterday. We're going to be going over our best five, bus five, sleeper five wide receivers in today's episode as we're getting through the midway point in August, which means we are full tilt draft season over the next couple of weeks. Yeah, most exciting time of the year a lot for a lot of people. I'm, it's we're getting round, rounding out the playoffs, I mean, rounding out preseason, getting ready for the kickoff, the start of the season, and everybody should be doing their drafts pretty much now. We're getting ready. Yeah, I, look, the we talked about this a little bit yesterday. Week two preseason is going to be the new week three preseason, and the rule of thumb, generally speaking, if you were in a league that was smart and had patience, you'd wait till after week three of the preseason to draft. Maybe sometimes, preferably even after week four. Because you could get some surprising cuts here and there. Chris, when this year are you looking to draft? Would your be what would your advice to people be if they're looking for a draft date right now? My preference is to try to push it back as far as you can to the start of the regular season. Um, to your point, you could have some surprising cuts, you could have some surprising trades. Um, you might have some different guys who might maybe have some soft tissue injuries that maybe you're kind of seeing where they stand because guys aren't necessarily going to play in the preseason if you're worried about some of your top tier guys, particularly at the running back position. So I always try to make, try to encourage people to try to wait as long as you possibly can for before the season because you don't necessarily like to do it too early because there's so many different variables that could be you know occur before that. Yeah, I mean, for us, we're in a few home leagues together and we're looking to try to draft around Labor Day weekend, get them after the cuts. Now, there's a lot of things going on Labor Day weekend, but it's also a good time for people to get together for barbecues and to draft. It's one of the best ways to go about it. That would be my advice. But, of course, 
if you're like me, I mean, I'm in more leagues than I can count. I've been drafting all throughout the month and it always goes on. It's still always fun, but you're always running that little extra risk. So just a little tidbit out there for the people who might be doing fantasy football for either the first time or within their first couple of years, try to figure out when's the best time to draft. That's our advice to you guys. I always like to have those little tidbits to start off the show. We are going to be kicking off the breaking news, though, because we have news that we didn't get to talk about in yesterday's show that we want to break down for you guys here. Breaking news. We did mention this a little bit because we talked about Marquez Callaway yesterday. We talked about Alvin Kamara a little bit yesterday. But to kick things off, what was your analysis on Winston playing behind Taysom Hill in the week one of the preseason? I'm not really taking anything out of it yet. Um, there's a lot of talk that Sean Pate was going to give each guy the opportunity to kind of start. So if Jameis Winston is the starter this weekend, then I expect to kind of keep going back and forth. If he's not the starter this weekend, then I would be more worried about that because that means Mateus might be the number one guy. Yeah, that that's that's why I say week two of the preseason. That's why I was waiting until after this weekend to start tweaking my rankings again, getting everybody ready for their drafts to be able to use that tool available to you on the Billy of Fantasy Sports dot com website because week two of the preseason i think is when we're going to see some of these position battles get a little more clear as far as who's actually leading them you know denver broncos quarterback situation is another great example to that i think that's going to be a big key this weekend too between uh teddy bridgewater and drew lock but james winston Taysom hill especially we talked about when michael thomas went down we were very confident i was very confident that it was going to be james winston the starting quarterback when michael thomas still had not gotten hurt back in june actually i had so far as I had Winston as my QB 12 overall, pegging him as my number one sleeper, and then the Thomas news comes out, that changed. And we also said that even though Winston would still be the better quarterback here, we could understand that Taysom Hill would have a better way to play because Sean Payton may decide to go full-out wildcat offense, essentially, and just run, run, run the football. Uh, so, Chris, what do you, who do you think is going to start at this point? If you had to take a guess here before the week two preseason kicks off, I've been trying to follow this as closely as possible. And now the reporting coming out, I think it's going to be Jameis Winston. Um, there's not been a clear separation in the two. Jameis has done a lot better job of protecting the ball. Although the last you know preseason game, the team in general had six turnovers, so that wasn't something Sean Payton was a big fan of. But it wasn't necessarily Jameis Winston really having any issues. But his interception he threw was actually a wrong route that the receiver ran, so it wasn't on him. Taysom Hill kind of threw a poor interception as well. Um, I think right now it's probably going to be Winston because from everything I'm understanding in camp, when he's out there, their offense is one more explosive. Um, he's able to kind of utilize the, the, the deeper passing game where some of the receivers they still have left that are healthy are able to kind of stretch the field and utilize them more appropriately, especially with Trey Quan Smith coming back. We're going to talk about that in a second, but he's going to be back there. So I think that overall – the team's kind of built with the more speedy receivers that Winston's kind of the guy who can get in the ball more consistently. I mean, we were both worried about you know, them trying to be more of a ball control team, and that's maybe why Taysom Hill would have the best opportunity. But I do think Winston's basically showing everything he's supposed to show, so he should be the starter, I hope. Yeah, not that this was a question before week one of the preseason, but if you needed a side-by-side comparison, it's just very clear James Winston's just a much more talented arm. Uh, it's It's not even remotely close. I know the Saints did win with Taysom Hill starting at quarterback last year, playing a particular brand of football. I don't know if you could really go on more than the four games that he played and expected to keep winning, though. And remember, they were playing against lesser competition during that stretch on top of it. So we'll see exactly what happens here, but still remains to be seen. I, too, would lean towards Jameis Winston being the starter. But this weekend is really going to show us probably a lot when it comes to that. 
You mentioned it. Traquan Smith returns to practice. This is kind of interesting because Marquez Callaway, somebody we're going to talk about later on in the show, is somebody we have as a potential breakout. So getting Traquan Smith finally back to practice, now we'll get to see with both of them healthy and out there on the field, how the reps kind of start to break down. We both have a very low opinion as far as what Traquan Smith is from a fantasy receiver standpoint and what he really brings to the table. I think Marquez Callaway is going to be the lead guy, but Chris, are you... What are you looking for with Traquan Smith back? What are you looking for out of Marquez Cali to maybe confirm uh, your potential for him? I mean, I don't think there's going to be a whole lot of Traquan Smith to confirm that for me. I think that's just going to be the reality. I think he fits the offense a little bit better. I think that he's going to be the number one guy kind of targeted in the receiving uh, position. And I think overall, it might hurt Harris a little bit more, who's been able to utilize and got some playing time with those quarterbacks and his kind of ability to stretch the field. I think Traquan might kind of replace that in some senses. If anything, it might actually help Callaway because you actually have another person that can kind of push the safeties out of the box and underneath the routes for them to get open and be featured a little bit more. Yeah, all I'm really looking for is with the return of Traquan Smith, does Marquez Callaway continue to play the X receiver role within the Saints offense? If that continues to be the case with Smith back, then that's what's going to confirm it for me from a potential standpoint. Uh, In other news, Buffalo Bills, Stephon Diggs, he hasn't really practiced much, but the Bills maintain that they are not concerned. They think he's going to be back at practice next week, actually. Chris, are you worried at all about the Stephon Diggs situation? I will be if it's not he's not back next week. Um, we kind of talked about this off air. I think that right now they're trying to be precautionary as possible with him, but it is a knee thing, and they're not really being very clear exactly what the knee thing is. So I think it's always very curious when the NFL teams don't tell you exactly what's going on. And we saw Tom Brady basically play the entire year with a bum knee last year. So I am a little bit concerned if Diggs isn't back next week. But if he comes back, he has plenty of time to get back around back into shape and be productive as, as always. Well, that's where I'm I'm with you. Because if he misses next week, then it's like, okay, he might it might be getting into week one before he really has time to actually get back into NFL shape out there. We know with these guys, it seems it takes typically two to three weeks if they've been out for a while to get back into the NFL shape there. So if he comes back next week, he's right on track for that. I won't be worried. I'm with you, though. When Whenever teams don't disclose exactly what an injury is, you always have to be a little bit concerned. We've been burned by that in the past before, particularly with you know the Bengals come to mind with A.J. Green and Joe Mixon over the past couple of seasons being uh, one. Julio Jones sometimes falls to that category, never really clear about the severity of his, and then it winds up being multiple weeks kind of going on right now with the Titans. So I'm always a little bit leery of that situation, but I'm with you comes back to practice next week, I'm not going to be concerned at all. So we'll be keeping our eyes on that. We'll be updating you on social media. So make sure you're following us along at Belly Up MDFF Show with all the player news. Fields outplays Andy Dalton. I have a poll for this later on in the show that we'll talk about. But Chris, what was your observations from that? Now, Fields actually since then had a little bit of a groin issue. Definitely not severe, though, because he came back to practice, and they're still saying that they're going to give him some reps in the upcoming preseason game. So obviously, it's not something to be crazy worried about or anything like that. So what was your mindset watching Dalton and then Fields? I mean, I wasn't very surprised that he outplayed him. I think we all have our doubts about how good of a, you know, a Dalton's upside is in a lot of ways. Justin Fields has a lot of athletic ability. He kind of showed that off in that preseason game. But let's also not forget he was facing the second tier and third defense, second and third defenses and got a lot more playing time than A. Dalton did. So while he did look better in a lot of senses, it was like A. Dalton stunk up the joint. So I don't know if this necessarily changes anything. Maybe for fan-wise, he's get more excited about what they might have and want him to be a starter sooner than later. 
but I don't know if this really changes anything for the Bears and their decision makers. I think it put more pressure on Matt Nagy to look at Justin Fields. I mean, he came out right after that game and said, we're going to get him more reps. He said in particular with Allen Robinson, which essentially means more reps with the ones. But it was just what we already knew. Uh, maybe the Bears did. Maybe they don't. They're just being stubborn because they signed Andy Dalton, whatever the case may be. But what was abundantly clear is just the natural talent of Justin Fields is superior to what Andy Dalton could possibly give you out there. And this is a Chicago team that if they actually want to make the playoffs, and in Matt Nagy's case, I think he has to, otherwise he's getting fired this season, you can't really mess around. You can't really mess around not playing the most talented players that you have, especially when you're in an offense that doesn't have a lot of game breakers on there. Let's be honest. So I think this does put a little bit more pressure on Matt Nagy to potentially look at Justin Fields, if not week one, within September. And I think Fields being able to play in the second preseason game is huge because if he's able to light it up again, I think come week three of preseason, we might be seeing Andy Dalton out there playing in the week three preseason game and not Justin Fields. I think that's a potential to happen. I think this is going to be a big weekend for that situation. Just real quick on that point, I think that for me, it's a little bit more about what the offensive line situation for the Bears. I mean, they went out and got Peters this week because they basically have to replace their, their Jenkins. draft. Jam Jenkins is going to get back surgery. Um, and he wasn't doing the greatest at left tackle as it was. So to your point, I think if Nagy wants to start off better or at more effective to begin the season, he needs to go field because that mobility definitely was obvious, the difference in the two guys. Yeah, for sure. Uh, another observation from the weekend. We talked about this a little bit during the PPR mock draft yesterday. David Johnson playing behind Philip Lindsay, playing clearly behind Philip Lindsay when it comes to the carries. Now, we expect Johnson, whether it's Ingram, whether it's Philip Lindsay, to dominate the passing down work because nobody, I mean, they did sign Rex Burkhead, but he doesn't seem to be getting much playing time. So it seems it's going to be David Johnson's role there. Uh, he's the only one who can really do it. Lindsay was always the guy that I thought maybe some point during the season I'd want to pick up off the waiver wire because I thought he is the most explosive runner in that backfield. So to see him get reps or to see them recognize that early is not surprising. But then when you throw in the Mark Ingram situation, which is he didn't play because he's getting starter quote-unquote treatment, that's where I'm just like, I throw up the white flag. My hands are up in the air. What do you think? Yeah, I definitely agree. I mean, I was kind of on, you know, last week we talked about our bus at running back position. David Johnson was on my list for that very reason. I think that we already were concerned about his touches and usage as it was. The reports out of camp was for some reason they have this infatuation with Ingram being the, a, a prime pr producer, even though he kind of looked like he lost a step or two last year. Um, maybe it's just kind of the comfortability with Coley coming from Baltimore. He just kind of likes his own guy. But we, I think David Johnson definitely is somebody that you're not touching in any standard league or even half, half point PPR league. And somebody I definitely don't want to only maybe like in the late, late rounds in a regular PPR league. Yeah, I'm, I'm just I'm not touching on anybody. Again, this is a situation where I think they'll all be available in the waiver wire at some point in your leagues. If someone emerges, we'll take a look at it. Otherwise, I don't think there's a reason to touch a Houston Texan running back at all at any point in the draft. Uh, Javante Williams looked really good. Melvin Gordon did come back to practice this week. There's a lot of reports about Melvin Gordon being very, very unhappy. Didn't show up for any of the offseason workouts. Wasn't thrilled they drafted Javante Williams in the second round. Again, Williams looked good. We expect Melvin Gordon to be the starter and get maybe, you know, 55 to 45 split share, maybe 60-40 at the very beginning of the year as far as the split between the two. 
but I don't know if it'll be long before Javante Williams overtakes him. What do you think about this situation? I don't know if he's necessarily going to overtake him, but I don't. I do think it'd be very sooner than later. Possibly, he's that 55, 45 guy getting the majority of the touches more often. Um, we saw it kind of with Philip Lindsay. Elvin Gore was kind of already splitting a lot of time with Philip Lindsay. Philip Lindsay was basically being used as the early down back and rotating on series. Elvin Gore was kind of being utilized more as a third down guy sometimes and also getting a series. Um, I think that you're going to see probably something very similar. I, I think ideally in Denver's eyes, they'd be able to kind of keep that going the whole entire season. Um, but I think that there might be, if Melvin Gordon continues to have some injury concerns, you might see Javante Williams just take over the entire backfield then. We have groin issue, hamstring issues, the knee. I mean, there's always something that seems to be nagging Melvin Gordon, which is why I think Javante Williams, I think, could potentially be a league winner because I do think by the time we hit playoff territory, it might be the Javante Williams show. And remember the big difference between Melvin Gordon and Philip Lindsay split last year was that we knew Philip Lindsay, because he can't pass protect, wasn't going to be involved in the passing down situations. That's not the case with Javante Williams. He can do everything Melvin Gordon can do, which makes this all the more interesting uh, for me, don't overdraft either one, but where their ADPs at, where they've been going lately in mock drafts that we've been doing, I've been pretty good with the value of these guys. Darren Waller returns back to practice. Not much to say there other than we'll just make note of it. He had been out of practice for a while. He returns back. That's good news. Uh, a little bit of a scare for Chase Claypool earlier in the week. He got you know helped off the field, came back. He was fine. So he's fine. He's good to go. And good news, Amari Cooper back in pass this week. Yeah, I mean, one of the receivers that we're definitely both big fans of. I know everybody kind of thinks C.D. Lambs is going to be definitely the guy. I am just agree that he's going to be one of the top guys, but I think Amari Cooper is not going anywhere soon. Um, I think this is a big year for Amari Cooper because there's a lot of talk about if he doesn't, if they're going to decide to keep him or they're going to resign Michael Gallup next year because they have to basically choose between the two. They can get out of Cooper's deal basically with not a whole lot of a penalty salary cap wise. So I think Mark Cooper is making sure that he's going to be healthy for this year and make sure he's able to be out there being produ- productive. And he has been since he's at the Dallas. So I'm excited about this offense in general. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I'm glad he's back again. We talked about two to three weeks to get back in NFL shape. He's coming back exactly at that time period where we expect him to be full go and ready to go uh, week one and be a healthy Amari Cooper, something we didn't see a ton of a year ago. That's going to wrap it up for the breaking news segment of today's show. We're going to have a quick word from our sponsor. We're going to come back with our best five wide receivers for 2021 right on the other side. One of the best sponsors of the show is named Symbol. That's S-I-M-B-U-L-L. Symbol, where Wall Street meets sports gambling in this innovative app. The Symbol brings the fun of being able to play for the long term by purchasing, selling, and trading stocks of your teams. When your teams win, you win a payout. Well, when they lose, you don't lose money the value of your team share is all that matters and it's easy to use just download the symbol app on your play store and use the promo code mds fantasy for a ten dollar deposit of at least ten dollars or more join the fun of investing in your team for the long haul where the sports book edge is put back into your hands as the player for the latest and most fun in sports gambling Download Symbol and again use the promo code MVS Fantasy for your ten dollar deposit bonus today. You're listening to the MD's Fantasy Football Show. 
And we are back on the MD's Fantasy Football Show. MD Nation, as always, I'm your host, Dan Mater, joined here with Chris Dowhauer, talking about our best five, bus five, sleeper five wide receivers for 2021 and kicking it off with our best five here. We have the same, well, we have four of the five of our, actually, no, three of the five are of our best five are the same. You got a couple differences there at the end. We have a different order for our top three. Chris, I have Calvin Ridley as my number five. You have Mike Evans as your number five. I'm actually going to have, I'm going to have to hit this little button on there for you because I like Mike Evans, but top five. I want the truth. You can't handle the truth. I got to hear this case. Yeah, so Mike Evans is my top five, mostly because of the consistency factor that he's demonstrated over the last few years. This guy was number nine last. I'm number ten last year. Uh, I was twelve the year before. The year before that, he was also it was eight, and the year before that, he was second. So over the last five years, this guy's been finishing in the top ten pretty consistently. And a lot of people were concerned maybe about the volume. I'm not. He only had nine targets and still finished in top ten last year. Um, he's a touchdown machine. While a lot of other guys are still questionable about how, how often they can score the touchdowns, will there be some kind of regression? Mike Evans is consistently threatening a double-digit touchdown range. And to me, he's very safe. He's very easy. And I think that at Tom Brady, he's actually going to be more improved uh, this year because he's, I think he's going to be more healthy. He's going to know the system better. And therefore, Mike Evans will kind of be that guy right off the bat. I also think Mike Evans is kind of coming in, in camp and one of the best shape they talked about in a long, long time in a sense for him where he's more explosive than he has been. Um, I, I just love his talent. I think he's going to be one of the guys that definitely continue to feature. And we saw Randy Moss have an outstanding success with Tom Brady. I think Mike Evans is going to kind of be his Randy Moss in a lot of ways. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to make this sound like I think it's a stretch for him to start for the get in top five. I have him as wide receiver eight overall in half-point PPR leagues. But what I think you have to bake in is that Evans has historic issues with hamstring issues, which makes me a little bit leery of him being able to hit that mark. We didn't have Antonio Brown all throughout the season last year. So I don't think he gets any, I don't think his targets go down from what he had a season ago, but I don't think he gets an increase in targets at the same time. He'll be the top red zone target that, that much. I don't dispute. He is the deep threat guy. He is the touchdown guy as far as that offense and Tom Brady goes, but I don't know if it's going to be quite enough to put him inside the top five when there's a few receivers that I'm going to get to in my list that I just think have crazy upside when it comes to the overall volume, like with the Calvin Ridley. Calvin Ridley's in an opportunity here. He was on pace last season for 180 targets in the games without Julio Jones. So you're talking Stephon Diggs, Devontae Adams level of target share potentially for a Calvin Ridley. That is going to be one of the worst defenses in the NFL his skill set, the pure volume awaiting him. That's why he's my number five wide receiver and why I have him ahead of a Mike Evans. What's your take, Chris? I mean, I think Calvin really has a lot of upside this year. I think he's going to be very productive. The only reason I don't have him in my top five is mostly because of the changes in the coaching staff. I think Arthur Smith is going to utilize the offense a little bit differently than we've seen over the last couple of years in Atlanta. And I think last year you saw Calvin really kind of you know, shine and show up and be very effective in the red zone. Uh, he was definitely targeted the most by, by far in the red zone when Julio was out. But I think you're going to see Pitts be utilized a lot more. The other tight ends, Hayden Hurst, be utilized a lot more in the red zone. So for me, Ridley has more of a chance for a regression. And I haven't seen it consistently year in, year out, where Mike Evans I have already. And I had to see the, the volume continue to be there. Also need to see him being able to you know, face 
being the top guy week in, week out, because teams are basically going to prepare to take him out and try to double him a lot of times because they really don't have any other weapons on the other side. I mean, he finished number five receiver last year in 2019. He finished, I'm trying to find it here, finishes wide receiver 27. This guy's been on the rise each year of his career, and now he gets to be the top dog. Arthur Smith might make some changes as far as how this offense works. It might not be as vertical or as quite pass heavy as it was under a dirt cutter. But again, you know, with Kyle Pitts, I have more limited expectations than most as far as what his rookie season could actually look like. I don't necessarily disagree with you in the red zone, but I don't see how there's a regression in volume for a Calvin Ridley. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. It's never been easier to communicate with people, but it's never been harder to know which platform you're supposed to communicate on. Here's a simpler solution. With call, meet, and message all in one app, Ring Central makes communication easy. With all that connectivity in the palm of your hand, you can work from anywhere with anyone at any time and never miss a beat. Because when it comes to communication, simple is better. Learn more at ringcentral.com. Ring Central, simpler communications. I mean, I don't necessarily think that he gets targeted a lot less, um, but I do think there's going to be some regression possibly in any red zone, which I think is a big factor why he was so productive last year. He was the most targeted receiver in the red zone last year. So I think that's definitely going to take a little bit of a drop of the coaching change. And I also think that you look at A.J. Brown's kind of usage. I think Kevin really is going to have a kind of similar thing where you're going to have big plays, but you might be more concerned about is the volume always going to be there catching-wise, receiving-wise, I should say. Um, so I, that's why I don't have it. I'm not a Calvin Ridley Haler by any stretch. It means he's right outside my top five. But I definitely think that for me, I'm going with guys that are more consistent and I've shown year in, year out where we saw a big jump last year. We want to see that continues. Next up, you have DeAndre Hopkins in your top four. Not that that's a stretch, but he is not somebody who's in that category for me. Why is DeAndre Hopkins your number four receiver? Uh, once again, this consistency thing. I mean, over the last six last six years, he's had over 150 targets. Last year, he finished receiver five. The year before, was receiver five. The year before, receiver two. And the year before that, was receiver one. So this guy's been in the top five for the past four years. I see no reason that's going to change. I know they kind of added some extra pieces with A.J. Green and, and Rondell Moore drafting him. But I actually think that kind of helps DeAndre Hopkins in a lot of ways because I think that he's going to actually not be able to be some of the teams to try to take away. I think he might see him a little more vertical this year than he has been in the past. Um, and I think that overall this offense is going to be very still much set up the same way where it's going to be a fast-paced offense. They're going to feature him. They're going to move him all around. And everything I'm hearing out of camp, he's excited about playing with A.J. Green because he realizes no matter what you kind of do, I have a kind of a counter for that. They've been talking a lot about how they were kind of working together in tandem and that this guy is going to, you're actually going to change routes not even, need, not even needing Kingsbury's approval, in a sense, based on what they see coverage-wise. So they were talking about a lot of times, like when DeAndre Hopkins sees coverage rolling his way, A.J. Green's going to the middle more or cutting over a deep post so that he can kind of rather get open for the deep play. And when that happens, it's forcing defenses to kind of lay off of that and then allow Hopkins to beat guys one-on-one. 
Yeah, I, I, I laugh to myself when DeAndre Hopkins keeps talking up uh, AJ Green the way he is because I, I mean, I just got to see if AJ Green has anything left. I, I know he seems happy because he's got another receiver buddy who came. I believe they came in the same draft class or close to it, right? Uh, but yeah, I, we'll see exactly what happens. But I do think overall, there's two things actually. One, I don't think Hopkins gets enough credit for how good of a season he had last year, considering it was his first year in Arizona with a new quarterback. Just shows you how great he is. 14, over 1,400 yards, seven touchdowns. He's my wide receiver seven. So again, we're not making a big stretch here. But the only reason I have him outside of that top five is because I do think there's more passing weapons to go to for the Arizona Cardinals this season. So I don't have him taking a huge hit in targets or anything like that. But I do think that between Christian Kirk and Rondale Moore, I don't know if DeAndre Hopkins does increase his downfield catching. I don't know if he does get as many big plays with, especially with Kirk playing in the slot. I think he's going to wind up being a seam stretcher quite a bit uh, in his own right. While AJ green is going to be out there pretending to be the starter for, you know, at least a few games anyway. Uh, so that's the only reason why I have him at wide receiver seven rather than wide receiver four. But to your point, as consistent as they come, even when he's a little nicked up, he finds a way to play. We know he's going to be Kyler Murray's number one target. Uh, it's just kind of nitpicking here. As far as the preference goes, my number four is the man, the myth, the legend, Mr. DK Metcalf. I don't, I don't know if there's a receiver who's more physically gifted in the NFL than a DK Metcalf was. If they, if Seattle hadn't been a bipolar team last year, as far as first half to second half uh, production, I think he could have finished as the wide receiver one. I think he was pretty close there to Devontae Adams. Uh, Chris, what do you think about DK Metcalf being my number four receiver? I mean, I'm not going to argue strongly against it because I absolutely love DK Metcalf as well. I think that we did see a little bit of inconsistency last year with the offense, um, but I do think that could actually improve this year because of the change offensive coordinator. Maybe they're utilizing him a little bit differently in some roles where he's kind of featured. The only problem I have a little bit is I don't know if DK is ever going to be a guy who catches 100 balls, um, so maybe you're getting a little, a little less just in half-point PPR than you would from some of his other receivers. But the production's definitely been there. He's definitely the most explosive receivers on this list. And physically gifted, I can't argue. I mean, this guy is just a monster out there. He's going to continue to get better running, reading coverages, continues to get better running routes. And I think that, you know, sky's the limit for him. So he could have, he definitely could finish in top five easily. I just like, I'm going with the guys that kind of have kind of bankables in a sense. I mean, I disagree with you that he's, if he's ever going to be a guy who catches 100 balls, he had 83 last year. He only had, about nine less targets than Tyler Lockett. I wouldn't be surprised if the 130 plus targets and the 100 receptions that Tyler Lockett got switches with DK Metcalf this season as being the lead target guy. I think he definitely is a candidate to catch 100 balls. I think that offense is built for Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf just gobbling up the volume. So I think he does have a chance for that to be the case, frankly, which is it's a big reason why he goes into my uh, wide receiver four category. Uh, I have him, I have him projected out here as I'm pulling it up. For first of all, I, he's, he's definitely um, durable too, especially given his ability. So that's a big thing too. But I have him for 138 targets and 93 receptions, so right around in that territory for me. Plus, he's pretty much a guarantee for double-digit touchdowns. Where a guy like DeAndre Hopkins, he hasn't actually gotten double-digit touchdowns in a really long time, which is another another key point for me there but still finished in the top five all last four years. No, I mean, I'm not disputing that part. But again, this is one of those upside things that you're going into the season. I think we might see another improvement, another leap year at a DK Metcalf, which is a scary, scary, scary thought. 
let's move into our top three guys, which we have the same top three guys, but in different order. Chris, you have Tyreek Hill at three. I have him at one. I have Devontae Adams at three. You have him at one. <laughs> so let's just go back and forth here. Why, why is Tyreek Hill at three behind Adams and Stephon Diggs for you? Um, I mean, I think this right now is going to be a preference thing in a lot of ways. I think you're, we're kind of picking, you know, nitpicking a lot of things. We talked about the running back position, kind of nitpicking in some of the top guys. I think this is a situation of a preference thing. For me, I like Tyreek Hill. He was great last year. He's been, you know, really good the last few years. But the consistency hasn't been quite there as the top-tier guys to me. Um, I, I do question whether there's going to be a little bit of decrease, a little decrease in volume for him. I love the fact that they got rid of Sammy Watkins and didn't really replace him. But we do know Kelsey's always going to eat. We do know that the running back game might be a little bit more utilized this year, particularly with the changes off the line. And you're going to make some great points about how I actually helped Tyree kill, which I'm sure we'll point out in a little bit. But I also think that overall for me, it's just a guy that I think is a little bit still more of a volatile situation. And so I, just, I slightly have him a little lower than the other two guys. But, I mean, I can't argue strongly against that. I think the top three receivers, first of all, I think that all three of them are in the same tier together. I don't think there's a tier drop-off between them. And it's a lot like what we talked about with the running back situation from two through five after Chris McCaffrey. It's a preference thing at that point. It's the way you look at it. It's the way you see things. For me, the reason Tyreek Hill is ahead of Savon Diggs and Devontae Adams for me is I think he's the one who's more likely of the three to be able to repeat the production that he had a season ago, because a season ago he had 135 targets, 87 receptions, uh, 1,276 yards, 15 touchdowns. That's more repeatable than I think the career highs of Stefan Diggs, who have 166 targets and 1,500 yards, or the career highs of Devontae Adams, who had, you know, like 18 touchdowns last year. I think both of those guys, if you, you know, common sense logically projected out, should be in line with a little regression where Tyreek Hill not only could duplicate those numbers, but because of that offensive line of the Kansas City Chiefs, and I've talked about this before, giving Patrick Mahomes a better protection rate because last year it was 21st in protection rate, that offensive line, I don't see why that doesn't come top 10 in protection rate. What happens when Patrick Mahomes has an extra half second to a full second to throw the ball and survey the field, it could lead to even bigger plays for Tyreek Hill down the field. And I don't worry about the volume. I think this offense is still going to be wildly uh, based upon Hill and Kelsey being fed the football. And of course, there's plenty of volume to go around when you're talking about Patrick Holmes and Andy Reid led offense of Kansas City Chiefs. So that's more the reason why I think Tyreek Hill is in a better situation to repeat what he did, possibly improve upon what he did a season ago, or you just expect a little bit of regression for Stephon Diggs and targets. I spent a little bit of regression for Devontae Adams and touchdowns. See, I think I expect a little bit of regression and touchdowns for Tyreek Hill this year. I don't think it's going to be no, a, a can't totally dispute drop. that, but I think he gets a boost in yards. I, I did want to point that out. Thank you for bringing that up because I, do, I don't think he necessarily gets 15 touchdowns. I have him for 12, but I think instead of 1,200 yards, he gets 1,400 yards. Go ahead. No, that's, that's just what I was going to say. For me, how I kind of differentiated between the other two guys is that I look at Tyreek Hill as a guy who definitely probably has a little bit of regression to touchdowns because he hasn't historically scored 15 touchdowns. And then also a guy who I think the offense may change a little more, be a little bit more run oriented. I'm not going to say they're going to go crazy or anything like that. Um, and then last year he did have six games where he only had uh, six games. I'm sorry that he had double single digit points. Um, so that's something where I look at difference between him and a Stefan Diggs. Um, I, I think Stefan Diggs has a little bit more consistency, just showed you know, numbers-wise last year. That's how I kind of split hairs on my side. 
And I can't disagree with that point because of the three, he is the one who does have to share a little bit with Kelsey where Stephon Diggs and Devontae Adams are very, very clearly ahead of the rest of the competition on their teams. Now, let's talk about, you You know, you have Adams number one and Stephon Diggs number two. I have Diggs two, Adams three. So I have Diggs ahead of Adams there. Why do you have Adams ahead of Diggs? Um, I mean, I think Diggs was outstanding last year, but kind of to your point, when your Tyree Kill point you're making, Stephon Diggs kind of had his career last year. So you've got to kind of see, will that be something that's repeatable? We do have, and we talked about yesterday's show, he has a little bit of a knee concern. I don't know if it's necessarily going to carry on to the season, but there's a little bit of a question going forward. Um, I don't know if he's necessarily going to be able to get that many targets again this year. He still didn't score double-digit touchdowns last year, despite all those targets. So there's a lot of different things where I kind of look at Devontae Adams as a guy who's been just been super productive. You know, 22 of his last 41 games that Devontae Adams has played, he's, he's been a receiver one. Um, I can't say the same thing for Stephon Diggs. We've seen, like I said, we saw a giant jump in a lot of production last year. I think Allen will continue to look for him. I think he'll be, continue to be featured in this offense. But they did add Emmanuel Sanders. Gabe Davis is getting a little bit better. There is talk about trying to utilize the running game a little bit more. So there's a little bit of opportunity for aggression versus Devontae Adams to me. has been Aaron Rodgers' boy. Um, and we'll talk about number ones in a second, but that's basically why I have Diggs set number two. Yeah, I have him, and we're talking a notch here. I'm, I have him a notch ahead of Devontae Adams. It's because I just the offense of the Bills is a higher volume passing offense than than Green Bay is. And again, uh, we're splitting we're splitting hairs, but it's just a little extra few targets. I think Diggs is going to get over Devontae Adams and the touchdown regression. I have Adams going from eighteen to uh, 13 touchdowns this season, 13 being his career high before this season, before that, that five touchdown decrease while Stefan Diggs should be able to repeat his eight touchdowns. It come becomes a difference for me where we're talking few points here between the two, but that's where I have Diggs just a slight hair ahead of Devontae Adams because he should come back a little more down to earth anyway, when it comes to the touchdown regression, just based on, you know, logical mathematics essentially so that's that's why i have them but again splitting hairs for me is a total preference pick between the three total preference pick between the three so we're gonna do is we're gonna just hit a quick break come back on the other side we're gonna have our bust five that we're gonna talk about for you guys right after a word from our sponsors over at manscape your client's going away for 10 years unless unless we swap first round picks Fantasy football draft season is upon us. It's time for you to put the PP back in the PPR league with the sponsors of today's show, Manscaped. The leaders in below-the-waist grooming just launched the new Performance Package 4.0. Don't neglect your balls like the Packers' front office has been neglecting Aaron Rodgers. Join the 2 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped and get ready for kickoff by going to manscaped.com. For 20% off and free shipping with the promo code BELLYUPFANTASY. This will help you tame that Troy Palomalu in your pants. And good news for our international listeners. Their life-changing products are now available in Canada, the UK, across Europe, Australia, South Africa, and Singapore. All with the 20% off and free international shipping when you use the promo code BELLYUPFANTASY today. You're listening to the MD's Fantasy Football Show. And we are back live on social media at BellyUpMDFFShow, live on YouTube, the MD's Fantasy Football Show. Subscribe. Hit that subscribe button when you get the chance. 
We're talking about our best five, bus five, sleeper five, wide receivers. As always, I'm your host, Dan Mater. Joined here with Chris Dowhauer. Check us out tonight on the Unhinged Radio Network. Remember, we're going to be live to you guys on your drive homes while you're making dinner. Just making that, you know, the, whatever those menial tasks on, just put us on in the background. We'll make it a little bit better for you and get you ready for your fantasy football drafts. That's going to be on from 6 to 7.30 on the Unhinged SN.airtime.pro. Leave it up in your browser. You can still... The good thing is, too, I've been on other radio streams where you have to pull it up in your browser, but then you can't leave the browser, otherwise it stops playing. You can leave this up on your browser, go on, go to another website, do whatever you got to do, and we'll still be playing on the background, so you don't have to worry about that. So that's one of the nice things I like about the uh, the Unhinged Radio Sports Networks, but 24-7 sports radio. It's going to be one of the best things out there. Just launched this week. We're already having some great results uh, from that. So, Chris, let's continue on. We're talking about our bus five here in this segment is we're going to have some fun, I think. You, Michael Thomas, your number five, which is going to be a little bittersweet, I think, in different ways because we both feel maybe both ways about him. Curious to hear this argument to him being your bus five based on his ADP at the current moment. Um, so what's my argument? Yeah, why is, this, why, why is he bus five? Why is he number well, five? Before, before we jump into that, I just want to make a correction real, real quick for MD Nation, my statistics I gave. Um, Tyreek Hill didn't have six games with single-digit points. I should have said he had six games where he had double-digit targets, while Stefan Diggs had nine games double-digit targets is what I meant to say. So I wanted to correct that real quick for everybody. Um, but why I have Michael Thomas as my number five bust is basically because I look at a guy who's going to miss the first six, seven weeks and where he's going ADP-wise. So this is receiver 26. We've seen we've done a couple of mock drafts ourselves, and we see this guy consistently flying off the board in the sixth round. Um, and I, I question whether or not he's going to be this that productive, especially when he's going to miss six to seven games. Last year he was out for a couple, you know, only played about seven or eight games, which is kind of what we expected him to see him do this year. And Michael Thomas basically had four of the seven games that he played, he averaged under double digit points and half point PPR. So that means he wasn't very wasn't a receiver one and half the game over half the games that he played. He also had a 15 points was his highest output last year. A big part of that was because he scored zero touchdowns, zero in the games that he played. So seven games, zero touchdowns, and a 15 point high for a guy who's basically still getting drafted in the top you know first six rounds for six or seven rounds, and you're expecting pretty much the same amount of games, maybe a few games here more if he's immediately off the, you know, a pup list and healthy and ready to be productive. So that's why I have him as one of my busts because I think the ADP right now, receiver 26 is way too high for this guy. And overall 66 is not a person people should be necessarily going that high on. Yeah. I'm not going to argue with you here. Uh, his, the, I mean, I have an updated ADP in front of me. He's at wide receiver 28. So he's moving down a little bit more, uh, but I have him ranked at wide receiver 36. Again, he's a he. I, I let it off with he's a bittersweet player because in both of our minds, if you get Michael Thomas the right value, say somewhere between the ninth, tenth round territory, maybe eighth, depending upon what your roster is looking like, he can still be a league winner for you because we know when he comes back, he's going to be the de facto target. There's no there's no question about that, and I would suspect that he'll find a way to get in the red zone this year. If you believe, we talked about this yesterday. If you believe in what Stefania Bell is saying. She seems pretty confident in that he's going to be back because of the surgery. He'll be back at 100%, and it's not going to linger on. 
Other people disagree. Other people think that there's a chance maybe he's not the same Michael Thomas. Here's what I'll say. Either way, he's going to be a high-volume wide receiver. Either way, he'll be at least a wide receiver, too, upon his return, which is why I have met wide receiver 36, even though we know he's going to miss the first six weeks at least of the season. But again, like you said, it's the sixth, seventh round. Your sixth, sixth round pick more so than not. Your sixth round pick is a core member of that team. I see a lot of people start to take shots as early as the sixth round. That's not the place to do it. Because that guy is still, he's a, an RB2. He's a wide receiver too. He's a, a, a main flex play. He is somebody who's supposed to be valuable for you week in and week out. You're talking about half the season before you see a Michael Thomas. You made this point in uh, yesterday's show that you have to make the playoffs. If you don't make the playoffs, it doesn't really matter what your team sets up like for the playoffs. So he's a guy that I like to stash, put him on the IR, but his ADP needs to decrease before I'm ever taking him where he's being drafted currently. Again, I have him ranked at wide receiver 36. Yeah, 100% agree. And you made a great point yesterday's show too about when you reach on guys and you want to go for those wild cards and kind of you know, it's something you want to do when you have certain things already secured for yourself. So if you're loaded at receiver or you're loaded at running back in the first five rounds, you know, you just landed incredible value, then maybe you can consider going Michael Thomas in the sixth round. But otherwise, to your point, you have to make sure your team's rounded out first and has the talent you're looking for and the guys that you can produce right off the bat before you start going for those wild cards. Yeah, 100% agree there. So my number five was Chase Claypool. And I love catching Fleck because I've talked about this all offseason that how Chase Claypool is being ranked, drafted, just valued. Way too high. Way too high. And the big key for me when it comes to him and why he's being valued way too high, I think it has a lot to do with the part of why pe- people are bored with Juju Smith-Schuster. They just are. They're bored by him. They're bored by his play on the field. Uh, they're disappointed he didn't become the Antonio Brown part two that some people, not this guy, but some people thought he would become. And as a result, they just expect Chase Claypool to overtake Juju Smith-Schuster this year. And to be fair, he finished as wide receiver 19 a season ago. But there's a couple key points there. First of all, he had a bunch of touchdowns. He had eight, he had nine touchdowns last year and an incredible touchdown rate, way higher than above average touchdown rate as far as the NFL goes. And the volume for the Pittsburgh Steelers passing attack was off the chain because Ben Roethlisberger could only line up in shotgun and they had to keep throwing the ball. The offensive line was so bad, they was just getting the ball out of his hands as quickly as humanly possible. James Conner couldn't break tackles, couldn't make anything happen. Benny Snell's a bum. They couldn't run the ball at all. They draft Najee Harris. So I do believe they're going to run the ball a bit more this season. So I don't expect their passing volume to be as off the charts as it was a year ago. And I got to see it, Al Roethlisberger. Career low in yards per attempt last year. And while I don't necessarily definitively think he's done I wouldn't be surprised if it turned to a Cam Newton situation where his shoulders or his elbows done and his arms done I wouldn't be surprised if that's a pathway to happen but the thing that I key on the most is that there's going to be a touchdown regression just logically speaking for a Chase Claypool and a good bet he did a similar touchdown rate to a Martavius Bryant did for his rookie year for the for the Pittsburgh Steelers and Martavius Bryant Went from a wide receiver two, scored eight touchdowns that season, to the following year, where he was a wide receiver four, scored six touchdowns the, the next year. That's what That was a drop-off there for Martavis Bryant. 
I expect something similar to Chase Claypool. And the difference between Claypool and Bryant is that there wasn't a second receiver ahead of him for targets like there is now. Smith-Schuster is still going to be the second most targeted receiver, guys. He's still going to be the slot guy in and out with Deontay Johnson. Ben's still going to want to get out of his hands quickly. There's a reason he signed a one-year contract prove-it deal for the Steelers to try to get paid next season by somebody else. And as much as people don't want to admit it, Smith-Schuster, I guarantee you right now, is going to be the second most targeted pass catcher on the Pittsburgh Steelers. Right now, Chase Claypool, his ADP is 28. His ECR ranking is 28. I have him ranked at wide receiver 42. I see serious regression in his future for this year. Yeah, Chase Claypool to me is a little bit interesting situation. A lot of people think he could be in regression. I, I'm not one of those people. I think that is is decent value. I understand your points of view and your perspective. I mean, I definitely think that you might not have the, you're not going to have the volume and, and passing game in Pittsburgh that we had last year. Um, but I also think Claypool is one of those phenomenal talents. And he reminds me a lot of DK Metcalf, who we talked about in our top five and why we love his physical ability. I think Claypool is a special specimen. I think that's going to be something that might help him. Um, and he'd be effective, especially in the red zone. I understand the Juju's point, and I think I don't argue that he might not be as targeted as much as Juju. I think he's more explosive by far than Juju is, and I think that Ben does like utilize the tall guys in the red zone particularly. My only concern with Claypool more so is the missing of the time of being kind of banged up already in the preseason and, uh, and kind of in camp, and maybe that kind of helps him fall behind a little bit in how they game plan for utilizing him. Um, I also think the other concern for him moving forward, compared to Martavius Bryant, I think the one big difference is we don't know if Chase Claypool's getting high off the off between you know between seasons and, and having some of the not committing to football like as much as Martavius Bryant was being basically accused of doing so. So I do think maybe there's a little bit of that factor, but I understand the concerns because I I have to agree with you that the Claypool volume he might be the third person kind of fed in that offense, um, but I think the explosiveness might be a make up for it. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Hi, I'm Grace, and I'm an indie vet. I'm also home from work at 6 and already transformed into a princess. Mommy, put on your crown. That's because I've got complete control of my schedule, plenty of shifts that fit my life, and a team like no other. It's a whole new way to vet. Indie vets. I think the explosive only matters if Robsberger's arm can return to some former fashion, and I think that just is going to have to remain to be seen. Let's move on, though, to our next group. You have Keenan Allen as your number four receiver bust. This is going to be, I'm going to hit, I'm going to hit this because this is going to be interesting. I want the truth. You can't handle the truth. You got to explain why Keenan Allen is your number four bust. So let's just make a real clear, real clear picture about Keenan Allen. I don't hate on Keenan Allen. I think he's going to be very productive. And we know that Justin Herbert loves throwing the ball. My issue more so is that he's receiver nine and how high he's going. He can't be, he can't be receiver nine in my book. For one simple reason, he was receiver 14 last year, and I don't see that his production is going to increase. I don't think he's going to be more effective. I don't think he's going to be utilized anymore. He was basically the receiving guy. That was with Hunter Henry injured, Austin Eckler injured, Mike Williams injured. So he had three of the three well, there are other guys, quote-unquote, that were basically hurt for most of the season or a good portion of the season, and he still 
um, only finished receiver 14. And then you add the fact that the guy didn't have 1,000 yards last year. He had his career high in touchdowns last year in eight. Um, he's never had double-digit touchdowns before. So all those different things, in my book, makes a guy not a top 10 receiver. That's more what I want to make clear to everybody is not, I don't think Keenan Allen's going to be, uh, going to suck it up or he's going to stink. I think what's going to happen is if you take this Keenan Allen in the second round as your number, as a receiver, you know, top 10 guy, I think that's where you're going to be very disappointed. Yeah, that part. I mean, I don't necessarily disagree with you on this. I hit that more because I do think that's going to be against the consensus thinking about Keenan Allen being a bus receiver, considering the one thing I give him is that he's going to give volume. I mean, as far as wide receivers go, you think of, you know, the high target shares. You think of Devontae Adams, you think of Stephon Diggs. Keenan Allen's going to be up there as far as his target share goes. For yeah, the 147 last year. Yeah, 147 I mean, last year. So he definitely was targeted, but still under 1,000 yards and not double digit touchdowns. That's my concern. Yeah, I don't disagree with that point. I mean, a lot of it's going to be underneath stuff. It's going to be slants. You know, it, we this is Joe Lombardi offense. I know they talk about Michael uh, Mike Williams taking on the Michael Thomas role. We'll see. It doesn't make much sense to me considering that route tree that you run. Uh, that would make more sense to go with Keenan Allen there. We'll see how that comes to fruition. I don't think any questions, though. Keenan Allen will be a heavily targeted wide receiver. He doesn't have a lot of touchdown upside, to your point. Yeah, you're right. Eight touchdowns last year. I have him for six this year. I have him ranked below the ADP. He's going as wide receiver nine. I have him at wide receiver 16. I will say this, though. I don't have a problem taking Keenan Allen in the third round, which is more... I don't really see him going in the second round too often. Third round of wide receiver nine, that's more typically where he's going. Uh, I don't have a problem with that when you're just trying to take a guy who, on a week-to-week basis, is pretty safe because of the target volume that he sees. But I am with you on, because he doesn't get a lot of big plays, he doesn't get a lot of touchdown red zone looks... This isn't a wide receiver 12 in my book. This isn't a wide receiver one. So that part, I am with you on. Uh, let's, let's take a look here at my number four bust, which is Marquise Brown. Now, this really shouldn't be a stretch, but I'm still shocked to see that he's going as a wide receiver four. His ADP is wide receiver 45. ECR ranking has him at wide receiver 49. I have him ranked at wide receiver 65. Last year, he finishes wide receiver 34, and that was with, the second highest target share for a wide receiver in the entire league. Uh, again, if the Ravens increase their pass attempts by 60, they'll still be the least passing team in the NFL. It doesn't matter. So you could talk about a drastic increase. And then on top of that, you're going to be splitting targets with Sammy Watkins and Rashad Bateman. Does he have the big play capability? Yeah. Is he a guy that I might consider in DFS, depending upon the matchup and who's available to the Baltimore Ravens time to time? Sure. I'm not drafting. Of all the Baltimore wide receivers that I don't really want to draft to begin with for redraft purposes, I am certainly not drafting Marquise Brown this year. Yeah, I can't argue that at all. I mean, I don't know if I wouldn't draft, but I definitely where his ADP is right now, I think is definitely ridiculous. Um, I think that people are just basically writing off Sammy Watkins like he's not going to be a part of the offense. We talked about Bateman in other shows. We're both big fans. He is going to return this season at some point. Still have Mark Andrews there. So I don't see the Marquise Brown where he's going in the last couple of years was a similar ADP. Why should he actually improve when they have a more, he's going to be sharing that target share even more. We don't know what Greg Roman is going to do. We do expect him to kind of pass a little bit more, but we still don't know if he's going to kind of be utilized as that, that go route guy and kind of clearing out defenses. So it's not something you can take a chance on in rounds eight or nine. I, I definitely there's better options that are on the board where Marquise Brown seems to be going lately. Yeah, that, that's the part what gets me is compared to the ADP and the ECR ranking doesn't make much sense. Number three bust, 
You have DJ Moore. I kind of like it. What's your DJ Moore case for him being a bust three receiver? Um, my big thing with DJ Moore is just basically because he's at receiver 21 and he's going uh, ADP around fifth, sixth round. Now, I'm not saying that's horrible for DJ Moore, and he has been very consistent the last two years. But there's this assumption that whatever happened last year is going to continue because Sam Darnold is going to be better than Teddy Bridgewater is. I'm not making that assumption at all. I think that what you saw last year was going to probably be one of DJ Moore's better seasons in a sense because I think that Sam Darnold has yet to show he can feed and feature a receiver. I mean, he hasn't so far in his career. So I can't see this guy all of a sudden as being somebody who's going to be able to utilize all the receiving options they have. And And DJ Moore had a really good year last year. Let's not forget Christian McCaffrey missed most of last year. So there's a lot of different factors that are going to add into this offense where you're going to have some changes. You added Terrence Marshall in the draft. You're going to see what Robbie Anderson's role is. And with DJ Moore playing the deep threat role is my biggest concern. If he's going to continue to be the guy who's kind of stretching the field like he was last year, well, what does Sam Darnold do to stretch the field? He's captain check down in my book. So this is a guy that I look at that he has a lot of – if he's utilized properly, he can still – he can maybe reach his ADP. But I have some doubts and concerns with Terrence Marshall basically going to be that slot receiver. We don't know how Robbie Anderson's going to be, and we saw the roles kind of switch last year. They switch back, and he plays Robbie Anderson's role. Maybe he'll continue to be that way. But he's still going to be a deep threat. With Sam Darnold, I don't see the opportunity for him to finish that high. Yeah, I, I can't disagree with your points as to why you have him as a bust. I'm not in agreement with you on ranking him as a bust. He finishes wide receiver 22 last year. His ADP is wide receiver 21 right now. I have him ranked at wide receiver 20. It's kind of what you just said. And there, it's a question, Mark, no doubt about it. There's nothing secure about it. But because I think the plan, the idea, is that DJ Moore has to be the main featured wide receiver. So you bring in Sam Darnold, where I agree with you, he's a captain checkdown machine. He's not a big play guy. I am more of the belief that the roles that we saw last year between Robbie Anderson and DJ Moore will flip-flop. I do think you're going to see DJ Moore be the shorter intermediate slot guy who is the more possession wide receiver and is the safety blanket for a Sam Darnold. And we're going to see Robbie Anderson go back to more of a deep threat role and have Terrace Marshall or yeah, Terrace Marshall play the other side and have those guys stretch it out and let DJ Moore operate in the middle. That's what I think is going to happen. I can't say definitively it is going to, but I think there's a more of an emphasis to make sure DJ Moore, their young star wide receiver up and coming to be more featured. And I think that's the way you're going to have to feature him, which is what makes me have the belief that that will wind up being the case, which is why I still have him maintaining. He's never going to be a big touchdown guy. But I do think DJ Moore go back to being in his role that we had seen him play up until a season ago, especially with the addition of Terrace Marshall, because I think I just, in my mind, in a Joe Brady system, it would just make more sense that you have a Robbie Anderson and Terrace Marshall stretching out the field with DJ Moore operating underneath. So that's well, me, what I'm going with. Let me, ask, let me ask you a question on that one because Terrence Marshall played the slot under Joe Brady. He was that was his coach in LSU, and Terrence Marshall has not played outside for the past few years in college. In fact, he's predominantly lined up in the slot. That's where he's been utilized. Is where we're utilizing camp right now. So I, I do have question whether or not you're going to see DJ Moore be used in the role you're kind of talking about because that's not what Joe Brady has done in the past yet. And I think that last year, I can I can agree with you. There could be a switch in roles with him and Robbie Anderson. But I almost bet money Terrence Marshall is not playing on the outside this year. Well, um, I mean, I ter- Terrence Marshall has been playing the slot, but so is DJ Moore. They've been swapping him in and out in camp. Uh, so you do have that aspect of it. And then I go back to this. I've made this point several times. There's the theoretical idea you have in camp, and then there's execution on the field. 
Terrence Marshall can't hold DJ Moore's jockstrap when it comes to actual route running. So that's why I just don't believe that he's actually going to, you know, hold it as far as the slot receiver job goes. Terrence Marshall can get off the line. That's why I think he's going to play the slot. But um, <clears throat> I also think that Christian McCaffrey is my big factor. Christian McCaffrey was out for most of the season last year, and you said he finished receiver 20. So him to be receiver 21, you're basically going to – where are all those targets going to come back for him to continue to eat like that? And I, like I said, I don't think Sam Darnold's going to be the answer to, to make that things all better for everybody. That's a fair point as well. I'm not going to argue with you too much on that one. Uh, my number three bust is Devonta Smith. And this was a change for me. And this is why fantasy football you have this is why in fantasy football you have to remain water. Look, when he got drafted by the Philadelphia Eagles, I was very excited about his 2021 redraft process because immediately what jumps off the page to you is the fact that you know he walks into a situation where he's the number one wide receiver on that team automatically. Uh Jalen Rager, you know, there's some reports that he's doing better in camp now, but came into camp apparently out of shape to begin with, has a lot to prove as far as his play on the field. We know that the tight ends will be involved, but outside of that, there's not a lot of people to go to. And again, I expect this to be a garbage time offense that has to come back from behind pretty often. So Devonta Smith is in a situation where he could get targeted. The problem is Jalen Hurts. He's so inefficient. He's such a 50-50 completion percentage quarterback. And a guy like Devonta Smith, he's not a go-up-and-get-it jump ball guy. He doesn't have a huge wingspan where Hurts can miss the mark and Devonta Smith can still stretch out and have the athletic ability to grab it. You got to hit him in stride. You got to hit him with anticipation. Things I don't think Jalen Hurts can do, at least not on a consistent basis anyway. So for me, Devonta Smith's problem is that his quarterback is Jalen Hurts. He'll get enough volume to have to still have some fantasy value, but his ADP is wide receiver 31. They have He's going as a mid-level wide receiver three. I have him as a back-end wide receiver four, ranked at wide receiver 48. He's already banged yeah, up could... with a knee sprain. Just finishing up. With, he's already banged up with a knee sprain. He's a light guy. I also don't trust that he necessarily is able to stay healthy for 17 games this year. Now, go ahead. I know. I was going to say, I, I totally agree. I think Devontae Smith is a guy that you definitely can look for the upside and take a shot on. But it's be banking on being your receiver three is really you, you really you better believe. Um, and I think Jalen Hurts is definitely something you're concerned about. And also the coaching staff. We haven't seen this coaching staff utilize the receiving core very much. I mean, I don't know what Sirianni is going to do, what he's going to bring over from the Colts, what he's not. But the Colts receivers haven't been super productive the last couple of years. And particularly a guy who has similar skill set, like a T.Y. Hilton, for example, was definitely had two of his worst years over the last two years because they don't, don't throw the ball a lot the outside. So I do wonder if he has the, you know, potential to be a receiver three in a sense this year, just because I love his talent. I love his physical skill sets, but I don't necessarily think the offense matches up for what he brings to the table. Whether it's Baker's simple truth, Turkey or Mac and cheese with Murray's English cheddar or pie made with fresh cosmic crisp apples. There are many dishes we look forward to sharing during the holidays and Baker's has all the fresh ingredients you need to turn today's holidays into tomorrow's memories. Baker's fresh for everyone. Choose from a great selection of digital coupons and use them up to five times in one transaction. Check our app for details. Bakers, fresh for everyone. Yep, yep, definitely that 100%. Moving up, you have Julio Jones as your number two bust candidate at the wide receiver position. I think I have an idea as to why you're going this way, but Chris, Julio Jones, why is he your number two bust? I'm kind of sticking to my ADP theme. He's, he's receiver 14. 
and I, I'm I'm trying to figure out for a guy who's been healthy when in the last few years, um, <laughs> and is already banged up in camp, is already missing time. Oh, by the way, he plays for the Titans, who are a team has not thrown a ball a whole lot. So especially to their second receiver, I think AJ Brown's definitely going to be that number one guy. I think that Julio Jones will be the number two. I think he'll be very effective and have some good weeks. But overall, this is a run-oriented first run first team. And then they play in a division where you basically can run over all those teams. So why does Julio Jones need to be out there to sit there and dominate and put all these great numbers? I don't think he's going to be bad. I think if he's healthy, he'll be productive. But receiver 14, to me, is just way too rich for my blood. Um, and going uh, ADP overall to a 39, like as you're taking this guy in your first four or five rounds, you better bank that Julio Jones is going to be out there week in, week out. Because if he's not, your team's going to be screwed. Because a lot of the guys on the board, we talked about the Rams receivers, we talked about other receivers that we like, that we are going to have been healthy, will have some more upside. And you're banking on Julio Jones basically repeating what we did three or four years ago. I don't think you can do that right now. I like Julio if he was a value where his value is right now is too way, way too high. Yeah, I don't disagree. The overall value more so for me, because while his ADP is wide receiver 15 at the moment, he I have him ranked at wide receiver 18. So I only have him three spots below that, but it's overall where he's going, like you pointed out. He's at borderline third round, fourth round pick. I have him behind guys like Tyler Lockett, I am behind Keenan Allen. I have him behind Amari Cooper. I have him behind CD Lamb. I have all those guys ahead of Julio Jones, all of which who go more consistently in the late fourth round, fifth round territory. So I'm looking at Julio Jones more in fifth round, sixth round from the overall standpoint, which I, I think you're in agreement with, is a much better value for Julio Jones. It's not that we think he's going to be bad when he's out there. It's dealing with the injuries. In fact, he's dealing with an injury now, and we still don't know really the true severity of it, and he hasn't really been out of practice. I've, I've talked about this before. I think the Tennessee Titans will be a higher volume passing offense than they were under Arthur Smith, especially with the addition of Julio, Julio Jones. I think Julio Jones and A.J. Brown is one hell of a tandem, and it's going to be hard to cover those guys, and Ryan Tannehill is going to look good as a result. So when he's out there, I have no doubts about his production. He was very productive last year when he was out there for the Falcons, even though it was for half the year. He still was on pace. He would have been on pace for a 1,500-yard season had he played based on what he did when he was healthy. So I don't question that part of him being production. Was that? In the four games, he was healthy. Well, it was nine, but yeah. Um, but any, but to all that point, you're drafting him in the third round. You're drafting him as wide receiver 14. You're drafting him as a high-end wide receiver too. That's a lot of risk when there's a lot of upside and a lot of really good options at the wide receiver position. So at that point, I'm kind of with you on that one. Uh, moving on here, I have my Adam Thielen as my number two bust. And to me, with Adam Thielen, if there's ever a guy, we talk about this every year, there's always somebody who's in a situation who's going to have regression. If there's any guy in fantasy football who's due for a regression this year based on his numbers, it's Adam Thielen. The guy had 14 touchdowns, had the highest touchdown rate, third most red zone targets. I think he's clearly behind Justin Jefferson as far as who's going to be the top target wide receiver this year. A lot of the touchdowns for Jefferson came on big plays. I think Jefferson's going to be more involved in the red zone. And I'm going to top this off too. I expect the Minnesota defense to at least be competent this season. I think we can all agree with that. They're going to be better than they were a season ago. The Vikings threw more last year than they had the past few years because they had to play because that defense was letting up so many points that they're not used to letting up. I think that goes back the other way. Less volume passing offense. 
Definitely a regression for Adam Thielen based on the numbers. I do think he's starting to get a little bit older and starting to show his age and as a guy who doesn't stay healthy for a full season anymore. That's why Adam Thielen, for me, is my number two uh, bust, especially at the moment. Yeah, I mean, I can understand some of that. I'm not a, I'm not as down on Adam Thielen. Um, I do think that his ADP is a little higher than I would want to go on him. That part, I definitely agree. I don't necessarily agree that I think that it's clear that Jefferson's the top guy there. I think Thielen's still going to be heavily utilized in the system. I still think he's that backside receiver in that West Coast system who's traditionally is the touchdown scorer. Usually that first read isn't the guy, a la Andre Johnson, for example, for all those years in the Texans. Um, You do see a lot of guys who are that number one quote-unquote guy in that offense not be the same guy utilized in the red zone. So I don't know if necessarily think that there's going to be a huge regression for Adam Thielen, especially touchdown-wise. I do understand that I think his ADP is too high, and it's not a guy you necessarily want a chance taking that high. Yeah, his ADP is wide receiver 18. I have him ranked at wide receiver 25. Let's move to our top bust, Chris. You have Debo Samuel. I have Kenny Galladay. So why is Debo Samuel your number one bust? First of all, I'm not a big Debo Samuel fan. I'll just put that out there. I'll be very honest because people like A.J. Brown and D.K. Metcalf went after this guy. Um, Having said that, Debo Samuel had a decent year last year, um, but he he basically did all his production when Kittle was hurt, when Ayuk was hurt, when it was both those guys were out there. They're obviously the top featured guys. Debo Samuel hasn't been good for a that good for the last two years that he's been there. Now his best year was two years ago because you utilize a lot in the running as a, as a kind of a Curtis Samuel type of rock or role. Um, I think that kind of changes. We didn't see that utilized as much last year. And a big part of why it kind of changes is because Brian, now you can do all those things also. And then you add the fact that Sanu is going to be the person they're talking about playing in the slot. If you had Debo playing the slot. I can understand the abysmal upside. He's not going to play the slot in your outside receiver. Where do you see this volume coming to kind of justify where he's going? You talk about Marquise Brown. I look at the 49ers in the same way. This isn't a, is a pass-first team. and hasn't done a great job of feeding multiple receivers. So if you have a healthy Kittle, healthy Ayuk, and you have um, Sanu playing the slot, and then we also both think that you know, we're going to see the running game be heavily utilized this year, I don't see where Debo Samuel has this potential to be a guy that I'm thinking eighth, ninth round, particularly where there's other guys, I think, on the board that I think are way better in um, – have way better paths being productive this year. Yeah, I mean, he's, his ADP is wide receiver 36. I'm not drastically lower than that. I have him at wide receiver 38. Uh, to, to your point, though, I'll say this. Going back to his college years, Debo's never been able to really stay healthy for a full season. That's something that's always plagued him. He is your prototype injury-prone player. Now, maybe he doesn't miss a crazy amount of time, but he seems to always miss four games somehow, some way. The one thing I will say is that I do think this might be the best 49ers offense we've seen in the past few years. I think this could be a higher-scoring team, potentially, so that might boost some of the floor value, at least for Debo Samuel. But I am with you. If Brayna Ayuk continues to emerge, it takes another step up this year. Uh, I don't know how many big games you're going to get out of a Debo Samuel. I think you're going to be looking for a floor. So I don't drastically disagree with you. Again, I'm only a little bit lower than the ADP on him, uh, but I don't see this tremendous upside. I think some people see that comes with a Debo Samuel when you're drafting him. My number one bust, it shouldn't be a surprise if you've been listening to the show at all this summer, but it's Kenny Galladay is my number one bust. Again, a guy who's going entirely too high. 
Ran- he's, his ADP right now is wide receiver 23, ECR 24. I have him ranked at wide receiver 30. There's a pretty good chance that when I update my rankings this weekend, I'm going to have him even lower than that. Uh, it's a guy already dealing with a hamstring issue, which has always been an issue for Kenny Galladay to begin with. He's battling. I pointed this out before. One season in his career has he had double-digit touchdowns. So much For being a guy who's known to be a red zone touchdown guy, one year he had double-digit touchdowns with a much better quarterback and, believe it or not, a more vertical passing type of offense around him than what he's going to have with Daniel Jones and Jason Garrett. Oh, by the way, there's more than just a Marvin Jones to throw the ball to. There's a Saquon Barkley. There's a Darius Slayton. There's a Sterling Shepard who has been Daniel Jones's number one targeted wide receiver when he's out there on the field. And there's Evan Ingram, who's a better player than what his production is probably going to wind up being under Jason Garrett, too. But still another guy to take away some targets. I don't like this matchup at all with him and Daniel Jones. Daniel Jones is a terrible deep throw in the quarterback. He's a, an awful quarterback in the red zone. So I just see a lot of obstacles in Kenny Galladay's way of actually having a good season with the New York Giants this year. We've had this discussion numerous times already about our differences in Kenny Galladay viewpoint. Um, I don't, I, I understand. I'm not a Daniel Jones fan. I'm not going to try to act like I am, but I, I will say that PFF and some other people have scored him as one of the better deep throwers. He just doesn't have the volume that you would want. For a guy to necessarily feed a Kenny because Galladay. his instinct is to check the ball down, but go ahead. But I think I'm not a big believer that Kenny Galladay is going to be one trick pony for this team. I think that he's going to be utilized multiple routes. I think, well, I shouldn't say multiple routes. He's going to have like three primary Two routes. routes. <laughs> he's going to have. The, he's going to have. I, 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 I've talked about before. I think he's going to do the, this Bryant role. We've seen that in Jason Garrett's offense. He's going to run slants. He's going to run goes. He's going to run the comeback patterns. I think all those things are, are going to be just fine on the New York Giants. I'm not a big fan of the most secondary in the division. I think Kenny Galladay is going to be a guy they have to justify that they paid for. The injury concerns is the only thing that would kind of make me a little bit down on him. He hasn't had a lot of healthy years, um, so that part I can understand. But this guy has a lot of talent in my book. I think they're going to utilize him. I think he's definitely going to be the alpha in their passing game. So I'm not necessarily worried about um, him not being a guy that because they have too many mouths to feed. I think Jason Garrett, if anything, is the other mouths that won't get fed. It'll be the problem. But I, 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 I can't really keep going on because I, I basically we just differ on Kenny Galladay with sure. Uh-huh. You'll be wrong. Don't you worry. Might be one of the guys we talk about in one of our bet episodes. We're going to take a really quick break and get a word in from our sponsor. We'll come back with our sleeper wide receivers that we'll run through and then get to our mailbag segment to close out the show. So stay tuned on the MD's Fantasy Football Show. We'll be back right after this. You can get championship footballs at championshipfootballs.com. They offer a one 100% money back guarantee on every single souvenir football that they sell. It's the coolest present that they'll open that day guaranteed. There's nothing worse than trying to find the right gift for somebody that already has everything. Whether that special present is for a Tampa Bay Buccaneers fan or an Alabama Crimson Tide backer, maybe Gramps a lifelong Dallas Cowboys supporter or your brother-in-law is in LSU Tiger territory. Know a member of the Baylor Alumni Association? Is there a better Father's Day gift for someone who's a Kansas City Chiefs fan? Send them the coolest present they'll open that day, guaranteed. Now, if your favorite pro team is the Buffalo Bills or those Minnesota Vikings, well, we're sorry about that. Also, if you're a New Mexico State Aggie or a Tulane Green Wave alum, 
not much they can do. After all, the name isn't nice effort. You had a pretty good season, footballs.com. The name is championshipfootballs.com. The coolest president they'll open that day guaranteed. You're listening to the MD's Fantasy Football Show. Lucky Land Casino, asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hi, I'm Maria. And I'm Mike. And we're Team, team Ready. ready. Black Hills Energy knows your home is where your heart is, so they want you to be ready. It's all about keeping you safe, prepared, and making your home as energy efficient as possible. Everything from how to weatherize your home to how to stay safe during extreme weather. Be ready for anything. Go to blackhillsenergy.com slash team ready. And we are back, MD Nation, on the MD's Fantasy Football Show, streaming live on social media at BellyUpMDFF Show and on YouTube. Subscribe to the MD's Fantasy Football Show channel. We'll be available to you guys on your favorite pod streaming app. And don't forget to tune in tonight, 6 to 7.30, on the Unhinged Radio Sports Network 24-7. All sports talk at unhingedsn.airtime. Dot pro going over our best five bus five sleeper five wide receivers here continuing on Chris now let's get into our sleeper five that we have up on the board this is where it gets a little bit more exciting I got T.Y. Hilton you have Rondale Moore talk about Rondale Moore being your sleeper wide receiver yeah I think Rondale Moore is kind of showing what his role is going to be I kind of talked about you know how when Sam Ebo Sam was the most effective utilizing that kind of Curtis Samuel role of being a hybrid guy where you can catch the ball, you can run the ball. I think that Rondell Moore has a lot of that things we've seen in the last preseason game of how he was used. He utilized a lot of jet sweep action. They threw the ball. I think sooner than later, he will take over as that top slot receiver for the Arizona Cardinals. I think he's very explosive. His ADP, I think, is 79 right now. Um, so he's a guy basically going borderline undrafted. I think we talked about you know taking a wild card or guys with upsides, especially later on in the rounds. This, to me, guy is a receiver that has just as much upside as any other receivers in a lot of ways. He, he's got, a lot, he's got he paid a lot of three or four receiver sets. He should be out there. He's going to be have a, a guy who's already been lighting it up and being very impressive in camp. And I don't think that's necessarily going to change the season progressive. I think that's going to see him more and more utilized. Yeah, I mean, I can't disagree. I have no problem taking a deep flyer on a guy like a Rondale Moore. I mean, if week one of the preseason, any indication, they certainly wanted to give him the ball. Of course, there's no DeAndre Hopkins or A.J. Green out there. But I think What's he's a special it? talent. Well, just real quick, I was going to say, Curtis Samuel basically is a guy I kind of look like I said for the role. Curtis Samuel was receiver twenty five last year, so I, I think if he can get close to those kind of numbers, he's way he's way out and surpassing his ADP. Well, I, I think what the key is going to be is how long does AJ Green stay that second wide receiver? Because that's going to have the trickle down effect. As long as AJ Green's out there as a the second wide receiver, Christian Kirk will be out there as the third receiver. Rondell Moore is the fourth. Now, if AJ Green proves that he is in fact done and he's over the hill. I think we'll see Kirk kick back outside. I think you'll see Rondale Moore take over the slot before long and wind up being a sleeper. So I just I like him as a ticket for redraft purposes. I love his talents. I love the possibility he might have on this team. But it is going to take some time into the season before you kind of see this play out as far as what he could possibly be, depending upon, 
I believe, what happens with A.J. Green. Uh, my number five... Can I five, a quick question sure. on him real quick, though? Is the Christian Kirk thing... Um, I've heard this come out a couple times now in the offseason. I'm not a big believer that Arizona sold a Christian Kirk. So I don't necessarily think that he's actually going to be have to wait for A.J. Green to fall off. I think Ronald Moore could overtake, overtake Christian Kirk, though, I'll be honest. No, I disagree with you there. This is a make or break it years for Christian Kirk, but they've been raving about him and his ability. Now they have him actually in the slot because that's always been his more natural position. I don't, it's not Christian Kirk he's going to overtake. It would be Christian Kirk overtaking AJ Green and then Rondell Moore overtaking the slot receiver position. Uh, I completely disagree with you there. Based on what I've heard out of camp anyway, let's move to my guy at number five, T.Y. Hilton. My big thing is here. First of all, I think he's being drastically undervalued. He is ADP-wise wide receiver 56. I have him ranked as wide receiver 37, especially with Carson Wentz. Now that he's supposedly going to be back for week one, uh, that's a big key for me, of course, when it comes to T.Y. Hilton. First of all, I don't subscribe to the idea that Hilton's done. I think he showed you towards the end of last year where he was finishing as a wide receiver 10 the last five weeks of the season that he's not done, that he has a little bit in the tank. He can take advantage of certain situations, especially probably all the defenses playing in the AFC South in particular come to mind. The big thing that he struggled with is that he couldn't get his deep ball. That's part of this big part of his game. You're not going to get that with a Phillip Rivers. You can get that with a Carson Wentz. I think it's going to make a big difference. Now, this isn't a guy who I want to start on a week-in, week-out basis, but I very much like him as your boomer bust threat in your lineup based on the matchup. That's why I have him as a high-end wide receiver four, who I think more times than not, you're going to be able to play him in the flex and go for some big-time production. I don't subscribe. Well, I think Michael Pittman might be the number one targeted wide receiver by the end of the year because T.Y. Hilton does have an 8-to-1 injury rate ratio. The guy you're going to actually want to play is T.Y. Hilton because he's going to be the guy who could actually win you or lose you the week, while Michael Pittman, to me, is nothing more than a floor touchdown-dependent play out of the Indianapolis Colts. So that's why I have T.Y. Hilton as my number five sleeper. Yeah, I mean, I don't disagree. I think Carson Wentz is my biggest reason. I, I agree with all of that. I'm not trust, I am not. still don't trust the coaching staff necessarily to use T.Y. Hilton appropriately, but I also think that you look, you know, Carson Wentz was able to have Charles Fulcom be effective. He was able to have Greg Ward be effective. So I think T.Y. Hilton is better and more skilled than both of those guys combined. Um, so I definitely think there's a role for him to be utilized this offense. Moving up the board here, we both have the same guy at number four, Antonio Brown. Chris, reiterate why Antonio Brown's our number four sleeper. Yeah, I talked about it yesterday's show. He's starting to creep up the board more and more, but still receiver 38. This guy was very productive last year. Um, he was receiver 21 towards the end of the season, especially as he got his legs. And my biggest thing for me is that I think he's clearly a favorite of Tom Brady. And I go back to when he actually signed with New England two years ago. And it was that first he played. He came in one week later. He was out there playing, had touchdown, had multiple, the most targeted receiver of all the receivers that week and had 56 yards. It's obvious Tom Brady wants him to be successful. It's obvious that Tom Brady likes Antonio Bryan, trusts him that he's going to run the routes and where he's going to be and wants him to be. And you saw that as the season progressed, particularly in the playoffs, he was utilized more and more as the go-to guy, particularly on third downs. I think when you look at all those things, and the assumption is that Antonio Brown is basically done. I don't see that. Um, you know, two years ago, this guy was one of the still top receivers before he got basically went crazy. Um, but there was a reason the Raiders – made all that big move to get him. 
There's a reason the New England was so excited to get him. And you have a whole offseason that you actually get to learn the system. You get to play, you get to practice with Tom Brady. You didn't get in trouble for anything else this offseason. You didn't punch anybody in the face. You didn't get sued. So all these different things, I think AJ, I think he, I mean, AJ, Antonio Brown has nothing but upside for a lot. And we already saw him be pretty productive last year. Yeah, uh, last year, again, he out-targeted Chris Godwin 62-55 to 55 from weeks 9 through 17. He was the wide receiver 21, while Godwin and Mike Evans were both top 12 wide receivers, so him having success didn't really put, it didn't really inhibit those guys from having their success fantasy football-wise. ADP wide receiver 38, I have him ranked at wide receiver 23. There is a genuine relationship, like you said, between an Antonio Brown and a Tom Brady. There's absolutely no doubt about it. I expect this heavy passing offense to really feature the three wide receivers and then the tight ends. But it's clear Antonio Brown is going to be involved. And for a guy who was out of football for two years, looked pretty good. And there's they're raving about how what kind of shape he's in right now in well, training camp, would, looking explosive. Yeah, he was 24th, 24th in per game average last year in half point PPR. So he already showed just being off for all that time. He was already number 24 in per game. So, I mean, and then, like I said, 2018, this guy was receiver four. So, uh, we talked about Julio earlier where I'm like, I don't understand. If Julio gets the benefit of the doubt, why doesn't Antonio Brown get the benefit of the doubt? Yeah, totally agree. Uh, Moving on, we have at wide receiver three sleepers, Brandon Cooks for Chris, Jalen Waddle for me. I think I know why Brandon Cooks is your number three sleeper, but go ahead. I mean, I look at Brandon Cooks as a guy who's ADP right now is number 40. Um, We both agree the Texans stink they're gonna play a lot of comeback football i'm not a huge fan of either quarterbacks the mills or tyrod taylor but tyrod taylor has shown the ability to feature a number one receiver a la sammy watkins um excuse me and then you've also seen typically rookie receiver rookie quarterbacks which we think mills will probably get an opportunity to play at some point um usually lock on to the number one receiver so for overall brandon cooks to me has been was receiver 15 last year five of the past six years he's been in the top 24 um, he's had four different quarterbacks already when he finished on those highs. So everything to me adds up for a guy who's going to be heavily targeted, probably the most effective, if not the best weapon on that offense. And then add the fact that they're deep, they're going to play Jacksonville twice. They play Colts. They play a lot of different teams where they're going to probably have to throw the ball, basically even in constantly try to come back. I'm not a big fan of overall of the Texans, but Brandon Cooks is one guy I'm definitely, I definitely will take a flyer on. He's the only guy I have any interest in drafting for the Houston Texans. Tyrod Taylor can at least feature one guy. I do think Nico Collins is a little bit better than you do. I think especially in the red zone will be kind of a factor there. Brandon Cook's never been a big touchdown guy. But this is a team that's going to be 24-7 in garbage. You want to talk about garbage time volume, 24-7 in garbage time volume. Maybe may go 0-17. Wouldn't shock me. Brandon Cooks right now is ADP's wide receiver 39. I have him ranked at wide receiver 34, so I'm a little bit of ahead the ADP as well. Again, just based on pure volume, I think you're going to have some weeks where he's inconsistent, maybe have a little bit of a floor just because the Houston offense as general just may completely stink. But he's a guy I think you can plug in as your wide receiver three on a pretty consistent basis. Uh, my number three sleeper is Jalen Waddle. I just love the upside this guy brings to the table. I do think because of the injury history of Will Fuller, the injury history of Devontae uh, Parker, I think there's just a real chance he winds up being the number one targeted Miami Dolphin wide receiver by the end of the year. And while there's been reports of him limping around, I actually looked okay to me on that punt return. And he's still been getting open and making plays, even though they've made a note that he's kind of limping around a little bit. So I don't think his explosiveness is still going to be 
uh, that much of an issue because I think he'll still be more explosive than a guy covering him, especially when he gets to play the slot. Yeah, I love Jalen Waddle's talent. I think he definitely has a lot of upside potential in that offense. And if he's healthy, we've already seen him in two, you know, light it up in college. I think he's the sky's the limit for this guy. So I can't argue that at all. Incredible value. ADP wide receiver 46. I have him ranked at wide receiver 32. So I think you're getting him for a hell of a steal right now as it stands today. Our number twos, you got Corey Davis, who you took in yesterday's PPR mock draft. So staying on brand here. And I don't, I, I know your head's that and I kind of like it. Go ahead. Yeah, I mean, I kind of surprised myself. I'm not a huge Corey Davis fan, but then I went back and looked, and he was receiver 31 last year. So you already kind of saw him in a role where he wasn't a featured guy. He was kind of the second fiddle in the offense to do a role where he's basically got paid to be the number one guy. We've seen him heavily targeted right in that preseason game. Um, and he was 28th in per game last year. And a guy basically who's receiver 48 ADP, hasn't really got drafted. He's 129 overall. So you're, a lot of people are predicting not even get picked. I think he's got some value. I mean, I like Elijah Moore's upside, but I think overall Corey Davis got paid to be a guy who's going to be the, – the game the game calls are going to be for him a lot of ways. And I talked about the backside receivers in that system. He's that guy who's going to be utilized in the red zone more often than not. So I think all those different factors, Corey Davis has some upside that I was, I was actually surprised they were admit because last year, like I said, receiver 31 wasn't super off the charts, but great value if you can get that late in your draft. Yeah, I think he's fine value where he's going. ADP 48, I have him ranked at wide receiver 49. Uh, they did bring him in there to be one of the featured weapons. He just doesn't have that sexy ceiling of an Elijah Moore because he's not going to get those big plays. It's not going to be his role in that offense. His, his role is going to be a safety blanket, an anchor for the wide receiver core. So I just don't think there's a lot of upside for him on a week-to-week basis. But I do think he's going to be a safe floor play that you can plug and play in your lineups when need be and somebody who's definitely worth drafting from that standpoint. But I don't see a lot of ceiling for him in that sense. Uh, My number two sleeper is DJ Chark because everyone's just napping on this guy. I mean, they always they think it's LaVisca Chenault's going to be the guy or Marvin Jones is going to be ahead of him on the pecking order. They point to this last week of preseason. I'm like... You guys realize DJ Chark wasn't on the field, right? That's why Marvin Jones got featured the way he is. He's younger, bigger, faster than Marvin Jones. Marvin Jones in there, I think, for his veteran leadership, which will definitely be much needed. But DJ Chark is going to be the number one receiver. LaVisca Schnoll, people just discount the fact this guy has to take a huge jump in his fundamental route running ability before he's getting open on a consistent basis. All right, a lot of his production, if it comes at all, is going to be after the catch, not because of volume. And DJ Chark's been a mid-level wide receiver two before. So I don't get why he has one season with bad quarterback play, which is going to be improved this year and being hurt for most of last year suddenly translates to this guy's going to be number three in the pecking order on the Jacksonville Jaguar team. His ADP right now is wide receiver 34. I have him ranked at wide receiver 22. So that's how confident I am in DJ Chark. Yeah, I, I don't, I probably not as confident. I do think DJ Chark's definitely been forgotten about in this offense. I don't think he should be. Um, my only concerns with him overall, honestly, is that is he a favorite of the team? We already kind of heard Brimmer kind of call him out for being soft last year. There was offseason last year talk about trading him to the Ravens. So I'm more curious about his, just the team liking him more so than actually the talent. Because talent-wise, you're absolutely right. He's the most talented guy. He has a better quarterback play. So there's a lot of upside for this guy. Um, I, I don't know if I'd go any much higher than the 34, 
but I don't I don't disagree that he's definitely got a good value, and I don't put him number three of, of tiers on their own team. Yeah, that's my big thing too. Our number one's the same. It's Marquez Callaway. So Chris, you took him last night or last yesterday and afternoon in your draft. Talk about Marquez Callaway. Yeah, I mean everybody's been raving about Marquez Callaway, and no matter who the quarterback has been, whether it was Taysom Hill or James Winston, this has been the most targeted guy, and he's been the most effective guy. Um, this isn't some guy who's just a nobody. He was a four-star recruit going into Tennessee. He wasn't consistent. We talk about poor quarterback play. Tennessee had horrible quarterback play while he was there. And his coach, T. Martin, actually compared him to Juju Smith-Schuster, which I think is a pretty good comparison when you look at the talent-wise. Guy was a kick returner in college. The kick returner last year, pretty effective for the Saints as a kick returner. We saw him as one game last year be the featured quote-unquote receiver. He had eight catches, 75 yards, nothing outrageous. But as I kind of pointed out, Michael Thomas didn't really do anything outrageous last year either. So overall, Marcus Callaway has an opportunity for at least the first six, seven weeks to be that the guy in the New Orleans Saints and has already been building rapport with both quarterbacks. And there's a good chance that even Michael Thomas comes back, this guy doesn't go away. Worst case scenario to me is that you have to replace him and you have a waiver wire. But the best case scenario is this is a guy you can have as an option as least a flex most entire season. And he's receiver, I think, 70 right now. And is basically 68. Okay. And he's not being drafted at all. So I I think Marquez Callaway has a lot of upside and an outstanding value. Yeah. I mean, the reason why he's my number one guy, I think he, he should be the number one lottery ticket being taken late in your draft. Now, he had a long way to go. He has been rising up the ADP boards because it was. Two weeks ago, I think he was wide receiver 90 or something like that. He's been rising up fast, but he had a long way to go. He's still wide receiver 68. To your point, still most of the time in 12-man leagues, not being drafted. I like his athletic profile. I think he is the most athletic wide receiver on the New Orleans Saints. And until Michael Thomas comes back, I do believe he's going to be the go-to guy, regardless of Traquan Smith. I especially like him if Jameis Winston's starting quarterback. I will say this. If Taysom Hill's starting quarterback, I don't know if I draft him. I may just keep him on my watch list in the waiver wire and kind of see what happens there. But if Winston's the guy, Marquez Callaway is going to be a big play, boom or bust threat that you can kind of plug and play in different situations there, I truly believe. And because he's there's a lot of upside at wide receiver. So let me talk about the guy who's going to be going in the 16th round who legitimately has a chance to make an impact on your team. And that, and that coach who will play him. Yeah, I think it's a big thing. You have a coaching staff that has a lot of guys that are late round guys or undrafted guys be successful. So I think that's a huge thing in my, in my book as well. Let's hit the mailbag segment. Mail time, mail time. The mail's here. Remember, if you ever want to get on the mailbag segment, all you got to do, go to social media at Show. We'll answer any question or comment that you have and help you guys out. And our few favorite ones, we'll make it on the show like they are today. And let's do his rapid fire style. We got Ridley up, DK Metcalf, or Justin Jefferson in a PPR league. Uh, Ridley was a real tough one. I, mean, I go with DK because his numbers were real similar last year. I think there might be a slight regression for Ridley, but I think there's not an obvious regression for Metcalf. I'm sorry, Jefferson. But yeah. I think there's an obvious thing for um, for DK. Yeah, I think he definitely can at least repeat, if not improve upon his numbers. Jefferson was great. If he repeats what he did last year. I wouldn't be surprised. It would be phenomenal. Mathematically, though, maybe a little bit of regression headed his way. DK Metcalf, my number four receiver. Ethan, Antonio Gibson, or Aaron Jones? Another real tough one. My splitting thing was I think Aaron Jones is the better offense. I'm going to bank on the guy on the better offense. 
For me, Aaron Jones has finished in the top five the last two years. I'm just going to take the guy with the proven track record, especially with Jamal Williams moving on. So I do go Aaron Jones. Ranked pretty similar for me, though, in my rankings. Milo, half-point PPR, who will have the better year? Saquon Barkley, Austin Eckler, Najee Harris, or Jonathan Taylor? I go with Saquon Barkley as long as he's healthy. I think that he has the most potential to be the most you know utilized guy in all those different things and probably has the most upside of all those guys. <laughs> Yeah, I have Saquon Barkley ranked the highest. If he's healthy, he will be a bell cow. He's more explosive than anybody on this list, both rushing and pass and receiving the football. So I'll go with Saquon, too. The safer play for me, though, would be Najee Harris, if you're looking at it from that perspective. Wally, do you prefer Kyle Pitts, Logan Thomas, or Mark Andrews? This is an easy one for me. Not as easy for me, but I, I, I go with Mark Andrews because I think I have him slightly higher than Pitts. I think he's definitely going to still be one of the top five tight ends. Yeah, Mark Andrews is my number five. Kyle Pitts, my number seven at the moment. Mark Andrews has a proven tracker. That's what I'm going with. Poll question of the week. What, after week one of preseason, had you reacting the most in fantasy football? This is actually a pretty close vote all the way around. Gaskin playing behind Malcolm Brown. Fields outplaying Andy Dalton. Or Winston playing behind Taysom Hill. Uh, 43% went to Fields outplaying Andy Dalton. 34% 34% Gaskin playing behind Malcolm Brown, 23% Winston playing behind Taysom Hill. A lot of people out there really think it's going to be Taysom Hill as a starting quarterback. That's why I'm not really surprised that was the least one on the list. But you know what? The one to reacting to, I think it should, for me, it was Miles Gaskin playing behind Malcolm Brown because I already knew Fields was better than Andy Dalton. I didn't need to see preseason to know that. That's just going to come down to does the coaching staff get a brain or not before week one. But Miles Gaskin playing behind Malcolm Brown, that was surprising because that is not something I was really expecting. Yeah, I 100% agree. I mean, it's not a shocker. Fields is better than any Dalton. I think we all agree on that. The Winston thing, like I talked about, I think that's just taking turns things, so I'm not really surprised by that. One definitely surprised me was that Malcolm Brown was so much involved and that Gasket basically is not going to be their top running back. Yeah, 100%. That's going to do it for today's show. Hope you guys all enjoyed it. Next week, we're going to be back. We're going to be talking about all of the latest news, position battles, and riser fallers on our Thursday episode from 11 a.m. to 12.30 p.m. next Thursday. And then on Friday, we'll be back with our best five, bus five, sleeper five tight ends for that show as we get closer and closer and closer to week one. So make sure you're tuning in on social media at Belly Up MDFF Show for the live edition, the course on YouTube, MD's Fantasy Football Show. Subscribe to that. Make sure you catch us on your favorite pod streaming app. And, of course on the Unhinged Radio Network. We'll be live tonight from 6 to 7.30, and we'll be back on Sunday from 12 to 1 on unhingedsn.airtime.pro. We'll we'll take you guys uh, until next week, and everybody have a wonderful weekend. Watch those preseason games to see what happens. Everybody, take care.
Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Hi, I'm Maria. And I'm Mike. And we're Team Team Ready. Ready. Black Hills Energy knows your home is where your heart is, so they want you to be ready. It's all about keeping you safe, prepared, and making your home as energy efficient as possible. Everything from how to weatherize your home to how to stay safe during extreme weather. Be ready for anything. Go to blackhillsenergy.com slash teamready. Ready.